New Thinking Aloud, conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with parapsychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. And yet, once again, one more time, <laughs> I'm going to go through questions that were posed on October 11th at the YouTube live stream event. We've got still a couple dozen pages of questions to go through. Uh, before I do that, let me remind you once again, you can subscribe to our free weekly newsletter by going to the new Thinking Aloud Foundation website, new thinking aloud, A-L-L-O-W-E-D. It's all one word, newthinkingaloud.org. And now to the questions. Shadow Wolf asks, what do you believe triggers synchronicities? What seems to increase the, the occurrence of them? And it's a great question. I have to say, I feel blessed. I've experienced many synchronicities throughout my life, maybe uh, hundreds or let's say a hundred significant ones probably. And my best take on it is you can't force them. Uh, synchronicities don't come by demand. <laughs> they come when they want to come. And I, it seems to me a lighthearted attitude is very important, but be alert, be observant. And the attitude that I take toward these synchronicities is that when I'm running my life the best way that I can, when I am becoming the best version of myself, that that's what trigger synchronicities. I take them to be little signs along the way, just telling me you're on the right path. So, uh, that's my view. Uh, I encourage all of you to resolve to become the best version of yourself. Make that your central goal and watch what happens because it, it opens you up to a world of magic. Matthew Smith asks, have you looked into electric universe theory, especially as it pertains to parapsychology and electromagnetic consciousness? Uh, Matthew, I've looked into it just a little bit, and uh, there's a reason I can tell you. Back in the 1970s, there was a mathematician in England, uh, John King, as I recall, was his name, and he was a big proponent of electromagnetism as being the uh, key to understanding psychic phenomena. But he gave up because it soon became quite clear that parapsychological phenomenon uh, occur across time, precognition, for example, and over great distances. There doesn't seem to be any drop-off in ability with distance, but normally an electromagnetic signal, as I recall, follows a, a rule. I think it's called the inverse square rule, which suggests that an electromagnetic signal weakens with, with distance because the signal has to spread out. Um, laser beams don't do that. Uh, <laughs> because they don't spread out. But in general, 
uh, it does not seem as if electromagnetism, as important as it is for uh, all a huge range of our daily activities, doesn't seem to really be uh, adequate to answer the uh, mysteries posed by parapsychological data. CE5 Circle says, in meditation, I have manifested strange phenomena using CE5 protocols and filmed them. I have a brain injury. Do you think a right side head injury can open your mind further? Well, there's two parts to this question. First, uh, let me say I don't know anything about the CE5 protocols, but I will say this. I uh, generally subscribe to the uh, philosophy enunciated by William James and C.S. Peirce back in the 19th century uh, called pragmatism. And uh, William James in particular thought that this is a philosophy that can apply to religious belief or metaphysical beliefs of any kind or meta-scientific beliefs of any kind, occult beliefs. Uh, and basically, it is, uh, it's so simple. If it works for you, then you might as well consider it true. Now, it uh, doesn't mean that it's going to be true for anybody else, but it's, it's a good way to judge, you know, these large theories that are really not amenable to normal, uh, distinctions of, of, of true and false because they're so big. Now, with regard to the head injury, I believe it's certainly the case that people who suffer one kind of an impairment or another, such as blindness or deafness, will find ways of compensating. And that would include an opening up of your paranormal abilities. So I do think a head injury can trigger that. Nathaniel Ritter asks, if remote viewing is as accurate as is claimed by former SRI researchers at all, how is it that we haven't seen resultant, drastic, apparent advances in international politics, business, and warfare? Well, Nathaniel, uh, the reason to my way of thinking is pretty simple, that our Government institutions, our business institutions, our military institutions are not well equipped yet to integrate uh, the, the findings of the paranormal uh, and in particular remote viewing. Uh, their program got closed down after 20 years of being operated uh, rather successfully from approximately 1975 to 1995. Uh, but it got closed down because it kept getting shunted from agency to agency. And somebody uh, finally said the CIA should take over the program and they didn't want it. And, you know, government bureaucrats are not necessarily well equipped to deal with this area, at least not yet in the current environment. So on, on the one hand, you've got an enormous amount of data. On the other hand, in order to manage 
programs of a remote viewing nature, you need people who have uh, extraordinary uh, abilities to appreciate the implications, uh, not only for the larger community as a whole, the philosophical implications, the scientific impl implications, but to deal with the sociology of it. And the sociology is still relatively hostile. You have a large group of people who consider themselves religious fundamentalists who say, this is evil. And then you've got another large group of people who consider themselves scientific rationalists who say, this is superstition. And in the middle, you have a small group of people growing, though. It's growing. That's one of the reasons I do the New Thinking Aloud channel is to help it grow. But I'd say you're talking two, three, four, five percent of the population who can appreciate this in a, in a balanced and sane manner. XYZ asks, when was the last time you were filled with joy because of learning something, finding something out? It's a great question. Uh, and the answer is simple. Every day, every day, I feel that. I, I'm blessed, I suppose, to be able to experience so much joy in my life. And surely, learning new things is, is a source of immense joy for me virtually every day. Peter Pipe says, Jeffrey, do you consider Luciferians as evil? I do not. I pretty much think of Luciferians uh, the way that Rudolf Steiner writes about Lucifer. Lucifer uh, is, a, uh, in Steiner's view, a spiritual being who is, represents passion, creativity, intellect, uh, everything but love. So, uh, that doesn't mean you're necessarily evil if you're lacking in love. It does suggest you might well have a propensity for it. I think that there's a possibility, Luciferians are at least as susceptible to behaving in an evil way as anyone else. But I, I don't think, uh, you're inherently evil just because, uh, you're focusing on your passion, on your intellect, on your creative brilliance. That's the way I view it. Other people undoubtedly view it differently. Flip-flop asks, how does your conversation with UG Krishnamurti seem to you today? You know, I it's find it fascinating that many people are still very interested in UG Krishnamurti. I think it's probably 30 years or so since I interviewed him. It was, I think, in the early 1980s or let's say late 1980s. Uh, in any case, he seemed like a very nice man. He was personable. He was bright. His main point when I interviewed him is that the whole focus that we have on enlightenment is a mistake. He called it, I think, a mystique. And He's trying to say, you know, you, there's no point to worship enlightened people because nobody is really enlightened. Um, and I think uh, he exemplified that. He seemed like a regular guy. And uh, in, in that sense, I felt a, a warmth and a fondness for him. But uh, 
I can't say, you know, there are people who have been super inspiring to me in my life. I don't think they were enlightened, but they had a lot going for them and, and they were great sources of inspiration. And, uh, as, as fond as I am of Yuji Krishnamurti, uh, personally, he didn't affect me that way. Natural Cycle asks, what area of the stock market is your expertise or your most success? I think I had my biggest successes in the financial markets, trading S&P futures and doing it using neural networks. Uh, I still think neural networks are excellent when there is a pattern and it is applicable, a nonlinear pattern that's driving the markets, uh, like a long bull market is a good example. Neural networks can uh, function beautifully. Uh, but I think I, <laughs> in the long run, realize my talents are much more suited to what I'm doing today than <laughs> trading financial futures. Peter Pipe asks, Jeffrey, why do you never reply to comments on your videos? And uh, actually, Peter, I do. I, I reply occasionally when I think I have something useful to say that will be of benefit. But for the most part, I don't have time to do that. It takes a lot of time every day. I read those comments and they're typically a hundred or more each day. So if I were to start replying to them, I wouldn't get anything else done. Um, but you know, I, I would say I reply to several comments every week. Gordon Ramsay asks, do we all use subtle psychic abilities in our day-to-day -day lives? Wonderful question. And uh, I think it's true. In fact, there's a great book by uh, the uh, psychologist and psychotherapist James Carpenter, Jim Carpenter, who has been around parapsychology long before me even and has done some wonderful work. If I recall correctly, I'll correct it if I'm not cor <laughs> correct. His book is called, I think, Second Sight. Um, and he points out uh, the many ways in which parapsychological abilities are operating in daily life. Most psychologists who study uh, psychic phenomenon believe that this is the case, but we often don't even notice it because it's, it's sort of operating very subtly, very quietly behind the scenes. It may be responsible for example, if, if you make a wrong turn while you're driving and manage to avoid a big accident that way, it can, it can affect our behavior and we don't even know why. Stefan Tunes asks, is if consciousness is not emergent from brain activity, but is a separate thing, how is it that things like brain tumors can affect personality? Well, if you assume, for example, that uh, the brain operates like a radio receiver, that consciousness is coming from somewhere else, but it's picked up in the brain, filtered is, is the theory, that the brain is basically keeping you from being aware of everything all at once, which might happen if you open yourself up to cosmic consciousness or mind at large. Still, 
a radio receiver, if, if one of the tubes or transistors goes out in your radio, that will affect the quality of your reception. So there, it's reasonable to think of an interaction. Nobody is denying the important role of the brain when it comes to consciousness, but it doesn't mean that the brain produces consciousness necessarily. It's perfectly viable to think of the brain more as a uh, receptor or a filter of consciousness. Well, let me ask you once again, if you were to resolve today to become the very best version of yourself, what changes would you wish to be making in your life? Thank you for being with me.